Well, good morning. If you were just joining us, we have been in the pages of Joshua. It's a story of great, great victories and occasionally some great defeats. But it's a a book that has a lot that can say for how we live in a time of turmoil and upset. And what does it mean to be a people of faith? And, And during this time, especially, how do we hold to a God that promises that he is with us, whatever we go through. So, so we're glad you're with us as we get into Scripture this morning. Lord, thank you that you guide us, that you are in control, you're sovereign, you're sovereign over all events, and we just trust you. Uh, we put our confidence in you, and we pray that in the name of Christ. Amen. You know, when our kids were very young, they, they had this game that they would often play, that they would curl up on the couch and they would close their eyes and then they would challenge us to, to come and find them. <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't the hardest of tasks. Their little rumps sticking up and their heads down, but their eyes were closed and as far as they were concerned, they were, they were invisible. And if discovery didn't come quick enough, then you'd hear these little voices call out, I'm here, (laughs) come find me. Because actually, for them, the game worked if, if there was actually the hidden could be found, if discovery were made. The truth is, though, as we grow older, our games of hide and seek and our rules change. And discovery, (laughs) that is the last thing wanted. Because we want our hiding places to be something that will remain hidden beyond just closed eyes and tucked in head. And it certainly was the last place wanted in the account that we are looking at this morning. As scripture takes us into a place of, of hiding that begins with alluring attraction and then ends with incredible destruction. I'm talking about the story we, we pick up here in Joshua chapter 7, and I invite you to open your Bibles to, to the pages of, of that part of Scripture that we look at the story of Achan. And talk about a contrast. Here we've had a story of amazing victories, miracles of the, of the waters of the Jordan that walled up and, and people crossing on land as firm and dry as concrete. And walled up Jericho that was impenetrable and it was laid as, laid as flat as that riverbed. Victories so impressive that when it came time for the next battle, those that went out to scout the city, they were already preparing their celebrations because this was just a, a little in, unimpressive city. It was just a little AI, just 12,000 men strong. A hamlet, really, just, just like a, a gnat confronting a giant and in this case Israel was the giant but this seemingly unimpressive gnat caused Israel to verse 12 tells us to turn their backs and run in defeat Israel's hearts becoming like water only days before it was the enemy's hearts that were becoming and melting with fear like water. And all because of one man, Achan. All because he decided that he could play hide-and-seek with God. One man's sin robbing Israel of strength. 
And I'm sure when the warriors came crawling back into camp, bloodied and missing 36 of their comrades, Achan made no connection between his actions and their defeat. And how could he? I mean, after all, what his crime was, what his sin was, was just a coat and some gold hidden in the tent. And how could that have any bearing whatsoever on the battlefield that happened somewhere out there? And no one could draw a line from his actions to this outcome. And besides, his actions were his own. No one else was wronged, wronged by it. And other than his family, who else would know? I mean, it's just his private little world. And what was done in the scheme of things, it would seem, it was no big deal. Just, just a few small things hidden away. And in this, Achan, not a whole lot different than you and I. Like him, we, we like to think that it's, it's the big things, the big violations of God's law that, that we are best to stay clear of, like the dark side of criminality or, or the, the fraud that steals from the defenseless or, or, or staying away from the seductress that doesn't try to disguise her intent. But as this portion of Scripture reminds, <clears throat> more often than not, it's not the big things that defeat us, that trip us up and cause us to hide. And the reality is, is that the enemy is smart enough to understand that we're usually on guard for these. At least at the beginning, we don't see them as the big issues that they end up to be and so he operationalizes his attacks in the small places where we can't imagine much damage being done it, it's no big deal at worst they're just termite issues they're small seemingly of no account they're, they're things easily justified and quite frankly let's be honest things that we often rationalize they're the choices made when we think that no one else sees there are the attitudes that are held on to because we've got a right to feel this way. There are words spoken because we shouldn't have been treated that way. They're, they are an offense <clears throat> or offenses that dig roots, but they're not very deep roots. I mean, we're in control of that. They're just things that we have a right to hang on to. But the thing about sin and the thing about what Scripture tells us this morning is that Sin isn't satisfied in staying small, and nor is it satisfied in staying hidden, because after a while, it can't. And we learn that the, the appetite of the smallest termite is voracious. And God tells us that our sin has tremendous impact, great impact, far greater than any, anything we can think. Its reach are far longer than we care to believe. Graves of 36 soldiers made that clear. And the deaths, their deaths, they weren't the results of their actions. They, there were no orders that had been disobeyed. There, were, there was no foolish breaking of ranks. But there, were, there was the reality of 36 people who would not return to family and friends. 36 grave markers for one man's sin. And as we look at this area of sin that we want to squirm away from, I have to wonder and have to ask, 
Could it be that your sin or my sin is digging grave markers far greater than what we understand? That it's bringing death in areas not just to me, but that extend far beyond me. Those whom I love, those who I value, and, and yet its impact, oh no, it can't, can't happen. And God says, actually it does. And certainly there are things about this story that are hard to understand. Others paying for the sin of one man. But don't miss the power that sin has and also miss what God says that he will do about that to both uncover it and destroy its power. And while we may rationalize, God doesn't dismiss our sin. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't overlook it. He does what's required to remove it. And yes, sometimes he will judge it because he knows what it will do, it will destroy. We we see something of a better understanding of, of the sin when we see Joshua's, God's encounter with Joshua. And Joshua's response to the defeat that they have just gone through caused him to doubt both the word of God and the ability of God. When he cries in verse 7, why did you deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? God, you did this. You allowed this. You're to blame. And the threat of sin threatened to change Joshua's view of God, of how he understood God to be, causing Joshua to look at God as one that was a promise maker, but he wasn't a promise keeper. He he wasn't one on whom he could bank his life. There's the whole part about I'm falling before you, but don't dupe me. Don't disappoint me. When Achan's eyes fell on a garment and took what was not his to take, he set in motion sin that would affect many. And though we don't see it and we don't like to see it, that's often what sin does in us. We chase money to fulfill our dreams. We, we gather possessions to make us feel important. And, and in Achan's case, what would it get him? He was already a rich man. Would the money get him 50 more sheep? I mean, what really did he need? But deceived, he felt he had to have. The question would be for us is, where's that sin that we want to keep hidden taking us? Where might it be leading us in a direction that does the damage not just to ourselves but to others because when we try to hide sin in our lives it's like we try to put spill protectors around the damage that we can contain it we can control it we can control the damage but the problem is like an oil spill the protectors may prevent some of the seepage on the engine on the edges but it doesn't control what's underneath. They can't hide behind or can't deal with what's underneath the surface. 
But we try, and in our efforts we try to justify, we try to rationalize, and we try to create a different view of God. Because ultimately that's what sin does. It has us starting to create our own version of God. Revising who we understand God to be. He's a God who overlooks and he's a God who, who just has to forgive, our, forgive us uh, because he's a God of all love. He's a God of all, all care. He what, just wants me to be happy even though I don't confess my sin. He, he just wants that for me. He's all about forgiveness and not about sin. He's just a nice, be happy God. But just not the God of the Bible. Oh, God clearly is a God who forgives. He is a God whose heart is to forgive those that come to him and confess our sin and bow before him. But when we don't, that sin starts to take over our lives. I can't tell you the number of times where I've heard and sat in a counseling session and heard people describe uh, different things about how they now view God that are different from what they once believed. And oftentimes, one of my early questions, depending who I'm speaking with, is, who are you sleeping with? Because the truth of the matter is, is oftentimes we redefine God to justify actions that we don't want to be accountable to God for. Surely, God must be a God that, that balances on the scale. We need to look at how that sin affected Joshua. He says to, to God, if only we had been content to live on the other side of the Jordan. And the result of that sin was a nation that was robbed of faith. It was, his conclusion was, it was better to have never entered God's promises. Better to have remained a slave. Better to have remained just as we were. Where we were, not over here. Because, as they saw, we have been delivered into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. The truth is, they were actually delivered into the hearts of the amorous, things that we love, things that we lust after, things that we pursue. And for Achan, he didn't understand that sin's attraction was written large, but sin's payment was written in fine small print. And if we're honest, we know that's true in our lives as well. Because what attracts consumes. And what's paid for that, we push aside because we don't want to know. It took several occasions for Israel to build faith, several victories, the Jericho, the crossing over the river, and it took one skirmish to destroy it. Because sin amplified the lie wanting God's voice to be heard as a whisper. And that whisper, pushed aside, made room for the loud that the enemy was saying is, we'll be delivered into the hands of the enemy, we'll be destroyed. In verse 7, we'll be surrounded, we'll be wiped out. That's what God is telling some of us in our, in our present. God God couldn't be a God that can carry me through. He's led me here and, and will be found out. And in the future, God's just not there when I need him to be. 
he, he's just not present taking me into the hard things that I have to face. You can't depend. Has God said? You can't depend on this God. And God's command to Joshua is this. Stand up. Deal with the, son, the sin. Understand the one who shouts your defeat is the one who authored, I saw, I coveted, I took. He was the one who was in the garden saying, just take. He was the one who stood on the balcony as David opened the shutters to see Bathsheba. Just take. His lies enticing, attractively loud. You deserve. You should have. And Achan, so transfixed by the attraction, never stopped to think that he needed none of what was being offered. He already had, as I said, he already had the wealth. He had the sheep and the, and the goats, or the, the, yeah, the goats. But believing he was entitled to more, he took. Coveting what he didn't have rather than taking value in all the things he had been given. And being denied is the starting point of almost all sin. It's Achan's lust for treasure that he can only hide and could not use, thinking that a, a possession or a person or an event was going to make his life somehow better, more complete, just like what we do. And the challenge of sin is at first it seems to deliver what it promises. I'm sure Achan must have thought that as he held up the robe to himself, that, that he had had an incredible coup. That look, look what he had. Macedonian designer, a great robe no one else will have. And, and gold, Canaanite gold, what could be better? I've been in this desert with all this stuff, and now I've got gold. And I can't help but wonder, I wonder how long it took before Achan understood that his newfound treasure would na- never make it to the light of day. Because he only had two options. He could be found out or he could bury the evidence. Temptation never warned him about that. Temptation just told him, take what you're, what's denied you. Just take what you don't have. And temptation never told him about the demands for payment. And every time the Israelites would potentially move on, Achan would have to unearth what he had buried in his tent under the weight of, could he be detected? Could it be seen? And for what? For a quick look at some cloth, that every time he would unearth it, it would look less and less impressive. Where was he going to wear his Jericho specials? And for the, the money, the gold, where'd you get all the gold, Aiken? So the best that Aiken do, Aiken could do is he could Take and hide. And that's always the way it is with sin. At first, not evident that we, it's taking us into hiding. But alienation and hiding are the byproducts of sin. And ultimately, what we bury, the corpse keeps kicking off. Uh, it's a credible tragedy. For a coat and a few pieces of gold, Achan went to his death not knowing the God who would provide for all Israel abundantly. But his failure to believe cost him everything. Is it possible that your 
failure to believe is costing you the very same. That the actions that you're currently involved in, that you're hiding, that no one else knows but you know, may end up costing you everything you value, everything you treasure. For a piece of cloth and some gold that you will never be able to use in the way you thought you could. But the lie tells us God comes up short. God doesn't give what he says he'd deliver. His best isn't good, good enough. And for 40 years, Israel looked over at what others possessed as they walked around but never in the possessed land. And what did they have to show for it? Just tent and sandals, sandals that would never wear out. And food that kept coming but looked much the same. God that created an incredibly durable product, but isn't there more? And so the dialogue rooted in, why not me? Why can't I have what they have? Why, why am I not entitled to what they have? It's a, if there's a lie that speaks loudly in our day, it's that everybody has it, and so should I. The rationalizations that justify as we jump from hop to bed to bed, as we adjust tax forms, as we fail to report income, you fill in your own blank. And in this, <laughs> who's going to know? And if things go as we hope, who will see? They're just secret termite issues. Years ago, I watched a, a video on 60 Minutes, and it was interesting because it was a story about a, a, 65, a 65 cent bolt, nothing of any great consequence. But the challenge was it was labeled as a 65 cent bolt, but it was actually manufactured to 25 cent quality. And that 25 cent bolt was actually getting uh, applied to bridges and to tunnels and to places that needed great strength. And yet, it only had 25 cent quality, not a 65 cent quality. And again, obviously, inflation. It was used for airplane engines that needed to be firmly attached. And the discovery? They weren't holding the way they needed to hold because they were never manufactured to do so. It's not a whole lot different than what they ultimately think they found what happened with the Titanic, that the, the Titanic actually crumbled as it did because the steel plates were held by an inferior rivet. Oh, it, it was cost efficient, but it was not manufactured to do what ultimately it needed to do. And sin deceives. In his disobedience, Achan gambling, that God wouldn't actually be an inspector one day to take a look at what had happened. And though God had said, back in the city of Jericho, don't take anything that's in that city. If, I do, if you do, I will actually destroy you. But, but Achan, that, no, that can't be true. Besides, this gold looks good and the, the robe looks great. God wouldn't deliver that. And God, or Achan was banking on that when he heard Joshua make the declaration, prepare yourselves in the morning, and went through a process. If you read the whole passage, we would say he brought them clan by clan, family by family, person by person. And you can imagine the grief 
that was sweeping over Achan as the list got tighter because the hidden was being pushed up to be revealed. And I guarantee you, as, as Achan slept the night before that place of revelation, no mattress felt as lumpy as the one that Achan was sleeping on and covering. Likely, the hidden was being revealed, maybe not in that way in Achan's life, but likely as it's often revealed in us, in how we change over time when the sin is hidden, where the laughter is gone, where the moods become testy and more on guard, where relationships that were once close now strained, because sin has a way of seeping out and infecting and changing. But even if it doesn't, even if, if that's never been revealed in you, and we've mastered the art of hiding, here's the truth God tells us in this, is we'll never hide from God. That no matter what we hide from others, God does see. So does that mean God's hand of judgment is going to fall on us? Well, the answer is no, and the answer is yes. In some way, God will not allow sin just to be resident there. His, his heart is to forgive sin, not to judge it. But he will not forgive sin that contains to be hidden, that we continue to do that, sin that we continue to cling to. Scripture tells us the wages of sin separates us from God. It's, we're told in Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin, the payment of sin, is death. But the far better news that you need to hear is the second part of that verse. And that is that God paid the price for your sin that you don't have to hide. You don't have to keep it hidden. He paid the price for that sin. Because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, his son, his death on the cross. That when we confess our sin, he forgives it. When we hide our sin, he will judge it. But there's another one that speaks. Again, who speaks with a loud voice. And his manuscript is written in lie. He wants to deceive. His intent to keep you in bondage, to keep you hiding. Hiding from yourself, hiding from others, and ultimately hiding from God. And God's call to us is your hiding is so unnecessary. It's so pointless because I know everything you've done. And my heart is not to blow you open to reveal you and make you stand naked in a spotlight. It is to forgive you and to make you clean that in Jesus you can be fully accepted, fully forgiven. But, Scripture tells us, that God leaves us with a choice. We can hide and remain in captivity, or we can confess and be set free. And the most obvious place we see the sin in this chapter is obviously with Achan, but there's another place in this chapter briefly to look at where you're giving, given another illustration of sin, and that's with Joshua. It's less obvious because by appearance, he appears to be running to God, not from him. Yet, Joshua's sin is believing that God is less than who he promised himself to be. 
And if we're not careful, when things come at us that we don't understand, that's a sin that we can easily fall into as well. That we don't believe what he says. And so Joshua is confronted by the Lord and says, Joshua, stand up. And in essence saying, and be who you've been called to be. What I promised you hasn't changed. The Lord is with you wherever you go, so be strong and very courageous. You will possess every place uh, uh, the sole of your foot stands. Joshua, you're in a battle that is near, and you're in a battle for a land that is far ahead. Joshua, I've told you these things. I've told you that there are going to be things coming at you that could cause you to fear and to lose courage. I've shown you these things. And yet you've allowed the circumstances that happened, you've allowed those to dictate who you are and more importantly, who I am. So Joshua, stand up and be who you've been called to be by God. Stand up and lead. Because what I promised you is true. What I'm giving to you is sure. It is what the Lord says to you and to me. You may not understand But what I've promised you is true. What is coming for you is sure. It may come times where you're going to walk into your battles and and you're going to allow defeat to keep you face down, groveling on the ground. Stand up. Joshua, the second part is stand up in the truth of who you are. Joshua, Israel... You are a covenant people, so live in the truth of that covenant. It's a promise, an unbreakable promise by God, not dependent on me, but dependent on God. Live in the sacredness of that covenant and the hope of that covenant. You are the forever child of God if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ. He is your king. He is the one who created the heavens and the earth. You have been a people who have been called out from those to live for his kingdom. And all around you as you're called out, there will be things that will attract and things that will lure and things that will deceive. But stay focused on the truth of who you are and what you know. And when you sin, confess. And when you fall, get up and stand again. Because understand what I give you. There is no possession of what I have for you without confession. Confess your sin. And start living in the freedom and the joy of what I've given you. And finally, Joshua, this. Stand up and embrace your authority. Deal with the sin. Stop treating it as as trivial. Decide and act and walk strong. Because the victories you need are given in his authority. The battles you face are given in his authority. We're told in First Peter, or Second Peter 1 and 3, he says this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness, to live a life that pleases him. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who calls us, called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and his excellence, glory that he's going to show us in fullness one day. You need to understand you're going after the, after the stuff that has no glory, not, no attraction, no value. Don't go after that and miss the full glory of who, what I have for you and what I've given. So bring your sin to the cross where your redemption price has been paid.
There isn't a sin that the blood of Christ won't cover. There isn't a thing that the cross can't forgive. There isn't an action that the Lord won't forgive. There isn't a battle that the Lord can't win. It's all been done at the cross. And you may hear, I'm not worthy, uh, and, and keep you in hiding. Says, no, come, reveal yourself to me and know who I am. There's only one thing required. That we finally end our adult game of hide and seek. And that we call out just as my little kids did. I'm here. Come find me. Probably more accurate It's what God has said. I'm here. Come find me. And when we do stand up in the authority of a forgiven, new, transformed, power-equipped life in Jesus. Because sin doesn't have to have the final word. Forgiven is God's final word through the cross of Christ. I'm here come close. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you you don't treat us according to our sin. You treat us according to your mercy and your grace that forgives all sin when we bring it to you. We thank you for that. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen.